There's an obscure passage in a very obscure book that describes a dynamic that we're going to encounter today. In 1809, a guy by the name of Johann Wolfgang von Goethe published his third novel, Elective Affinities. And hopefully Johann won't be too upset if I completely dismiss the emphasis of his book today. But what's important is this phenomenon that he describes. And in this book, he, he tells about something that he heard that the, the Great Britain's Royal Navy did. And uh, they did it with these ropes. And he said the ropes that are in use in the Royal Navy, from the largest to the smallest, are so twisted that a red thread runs through them from end to end, which cannot be extracted without undoing the whole. And uh, there's... Uh, some talk in literary circles of a thread that runs through a novel or a thread that runs through a series. And, and we've been going through the book of Romans uh, through, for the entirety of this year uh, with just a couple of, ex of uh, exceptions. And in the book of Romans, there is an almost invisible thread, a thematic thread that runs through it, that if you were to take this thread out, the whole purpose and the whole reason for writing the book of Romans would fall apart. I mean, think of it. If you were the Apostle Paul, why would you write a letter, handwritten, 16 chapters long, to a church that you had never visited? There has to be a reason. There has to be a purpose, something going on in the reason for your writing. And uh, we, have, we have something like that in the book of Romans. There is a common thread that holds it all together. And so what is it? Well, we have some clues. From the very beginning of the book of Romans, uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul doesn't describe himself and say, Hi, I'm Paul. No, he says, Paul, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so Paul tells us right from the very beginning that there's something unique about him. God has called him to be an apostle. God has set him apart from other people to proclaim the good news of God. And you might wonder if you were receiving this, if you're part of the Church of Rome, and you received this letter, and they you came together on a Sunday, and the letter had come in town, and so the, the pastor is going to read you this letter from the Apostle Paul. And he begins this way, and you're thinking, okay, that's great, Paul. I'm glad that God called you to be an apostle. I'm glad that you're set apart to proclaim the good news. But what does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with my church here in Rome? Well, Paul goes on in chapter 1, in verses 9 and 10, he says that he unceasingly prays for the church of Rome. Why? He tells us that he might come visit them someday. Why does he want to visit Rome? Especially the church at Rome. He tells us that in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says he wants to visit the church of Rome so that he might obtain something from them. And he calls that something fruit. In verse 14, he says that he's obligated to share the gospel to all kinds of Gentiles. And so you have this God-called man, this God-called man who wants to go to a church that he's never visited, 
right at the heart of the entire empire, the capital of the Roman Empire. He wants to visit that church so that he might gain some fruit from them. Why? Because he's obligated to preach the gospel to people that don't yet know Jesus. And then in chapters 4 through 9, Paul repeatedly tells us that Gentiles can obtain salvation just like Jews can. And so he has this obligation. And finally, in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, or Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so now, after ten and a half chapters of explaining in intricate detail the mercies of God, Paul makes the thrust of his message abundantly clear. The only way that people all over the world will be saved is if somebody tells them about Jesus. And Paul took that responsibility personally. You know, when most of us hear the Great Commission, where Jesus said very famously, go and make disciples of all the nations. We tend to say, you know, yeah, the church ought to go. Yeah, those missionaries, they, they, they're obeying God. We need to help them out. That's good for them that they're obeying God. Yeah, someone needs to tell people about Jesus. The church needs to tell people about Jesus. You, you might even say, we need to tell people about Jesus. But I wonder how many of us, truly, honestly, when we hear the Great Commission, we say, that's my responsibility to tell people about Jesus. It's my job. Paul felt it this way. I think I can properly express the heart of Paul by saying this, that Paul would have said, it's my responsibility to share the gospel with everyone. It's my responsibility to go to places where people have never heard about Jesus and tell them about Jesus. He personally felt that the salvation of the world was on his shoulders. We don't feel that like he did, I'm afraid. You know, if more of us took personally God's calling on our lives to spread the message of Jesus to the world, we would have more missionaries and more support of them. We would have more pastors and more new churches. We would have more witnesses and more people being saved and baptized. I was told just last week that there are approximately there is approximately one church for every thousand people in Lubbock. One church for every thousand people in Lubbock. 
And you can look around this room and come to the conclusion, this church is not has not fulfilled its obligation yet. We don't have a thousand people in this room. Not yet. If we're going to take seriously our obligation to the city of Lubbock, our obligation to our state, our nation, and around the world, then we need to take this idea very personally. If you have access to a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 14. We're in this series called Romans Mercy to All. And today we're going to read Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. And I'm going to read aloud from the New American Standard Bible, and you can read silently along in your own Bible, uh, or in the Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. And I would ask you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear? without a preacher. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Verse 16. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Moses, First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Heavenly Father, I pray that you grant us understanding of your word so that we can obey you and what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Very simple question. What has to happen for someone to be saved? Verses 14 and 15 tell us. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe on him in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I want to make this uh, very, very clear. And so... I'm going to uh, keep this brief. Paul says that for some effect to happen down here, there has to be a cause that causes that effect. And there has to be a cause that causes that, and another cause that causes that. And so he lists in verses 14 and 15 a series of things that have to happen, and yet Paul does it in reverse order. We're going to take it chronologically. We're going to say this has to happen first and second and third and fourth and fifth, and on down. And here's what has to happen in order for someone to be saved. And let me just personalize it. If someone that you care about, someone that you know who doesn't yet know the Lord is going to be saved, here's what has to happen. Number one, 
Christ sends preachers. That's the first thing that happens. He sends preachers. And I want to stop right there. Because when you think of the word preacher, you think of someone standing behind a pulpit delivering a sermon. If you're old enough, you think about the evangelist in the white suit and white shoes that comes and he preaches a revival. Okay, but that's not what this word means. That's not what the word preacher means. The word preacher simply means someone who tells someone else a message. That's it. That's a messenger. A herald, H-E-A-R-A-L-D. H-E-R-A-L-D. Being a preacher has nothing to do with sermons. It has nothing to do with being a pastor. It has nothing to do with a pulpit. It has nothing to do with Sunday mornings. It simply means being a messenger. And so, step number one, for someone that you know who needs the Lord Jesus Christ, for that person to be saved, step number one is for Jesus Christ to send people out who understand that it is their privilege and responsibility to tell others about Him. Now, whose job is that? Who has Jesus sent out to tell other people about Jesus? Is it the job of only the pastor? No. Is it the job of the paid evangelist? It's not only his job. Is it only something that happens on Sunday morning in a worship service? No. Because if we take even a cursory look at what Scripture says, we understand this, that Jesus Christ sends you to tell others about Him. I'll show you. In Acts chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus told His disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Okay? So according to Jesus, in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, any person who has received the Holy Spirit is a witness to Jesus. Is called to be a witness to Jesus. If you've received the Holy Spirit, then you have received the power to be His witness to other people. But if you believe that telling other people about Jesus is just the job of the pastor or the evangelist, then logically you believe that only the pastor or the evangelist has the Holy Spirit. And we know that's not true. Scripture tells us otherwise. Every believer, the Bible says, very clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, every believer has received the Holy Spirit. And that includes you, if you're a believer. And so if you've received the Holy Spirit, then Christ has empowered you to tell others about Him. Period. Number one, Christ sends preachers, and that's you. Step number two, preachers, that's you, share the gospel. You share the good news about Jesus. Again, preachers does not refer to people standing behind the pulpit. The word preach does not mean to deliver a sermon. Preach simply means to tell someone. And by the way, you don't have to be preaching when you tell someone about Jesus. Okay? You don't have to have a monologue like I'm having right now. You can have a dialogue. You can have a conversation. Just tell people about Jesus your way. That's step number two. You speak. Words actually have to come out of your mouth. Step number three, people hear. When you speak, they hear. Step number four, 
The hearers believe. Step number five. Believers call on the name of the Lord. And step number six. Those who call, they're saved. They're saved. By the way, there's one final thing that happens. When you tell someone about Jesus and they get saved, there's one final thing that happens. And it's the best thing in the world. They'll always be grateful to you. They'll always be grateful to you for introducing them to your Savior. Look at the last part of verse 15. It says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I love this verse. Paul is quoting Isaiah. And Isaiah, in the original, when he originally wrote this, he was writing about uh, the wonderful messengers who went around to God's captive people in Babylon and said, it won't be long before we get to go back home. And so they were spreading the good news. But Paul says, when you use your feet to go to others and you tell them about Jesus, Paul says, your feet are beautiful. When was the last time you took a picture of your feet and you posted it on social media? Look at how beautiful my feet are. We don't do that, do we? I mean, there's a reason it's called Facebook, not Feetbook, right? Feet aren't very pretty, are they? Well, they are if they take a witness to a lost person and it changes that lost person's eternity. Those feet, I don't care if they have all ten toes or not, those feet are beautiful. Those feet are beautiful. You know, why don't we tell people about Jesus as much as we should? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I'll just name a few. The number one reason we don't tell people about Jesus as much as we should is, is fear. We're afraid of what others might say about us or think about us. Now, I, I could try to give you some logical reasons why you shouldn't be afraid of that. I could try to convince you that, that hey, don't worry about it. Your friends won't stop being your friends or, or your, your, your friends won't call you names. But the reality is I don't know how your friends will react. I don't know how your loved ones, your extended family might react. Maybe they will call you names. Maybe they will think less of you. Maybe they will stop being your friends. I don't know. But I would just address this idea of being too afraid to witness this way. Quit being a wimp. Just overcome it. Okay? Stop being scared. Just stop. Stop being scared. You see, if you believe in Jesus, you need to tell people in your world who don't believe in Jesus yet, you need to tell them about him. And you might say, well, I don't know what to say. Okay, here's what you say. And you could say this even to a close friend that you've never talked anything spiritual about with someone. You, you can simply say this. 
hey, do you have a minute? Because there's something I need to talk to you about. I need to let you know that, that I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. And, you know, I don't know how, how exactly you'll react to that, but, but I want you to know that my faith means a lot to me. And you mean a lot to me too. And, and that's why I want to tell you about Jesus because I think it'd be awesome if you and I were both believers in, in the Lord. And I'm not pressuring you and I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to hate you if you, if you have other thoughts because I'll, I'll always love you. You'll always be my friend. I just want to share that with you because I don't know if I ever have really. And then just see where the conversation goes. You might be surprised. They might be thinking, I've been wanting to tell you that for years myself. You might both be believers. You never know. Or it might be an opportunity for you to just share your faith and they soak it in and they listen. And you might think, okay, well, but what are... What if they reject Jesus? Well, that's a real possibility. It's a possibility. Because you can't believe for someone else. You just can't. You can't believe for your kids. As much as we want our kids to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and walk with Him every day, that's not your choice to make. But I'll say this. If your kids aren't walking with the Lord every day, if your kids don't know the Lord, I'll tell you what, I'd be on my knees praying every day. Because I can't make them believe, but I can call out to my Heavenly Father. And I can say, God, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. Because I love my kids more than I'd probably love anything else in this world. I want my kids to know the Lord. And so, if your kids, your grandkids, whoever it is that you love don't know the Lord, you need to be praying. You need to be praying. But you can't believe for someone else. They have to believe on their own. And sometimes people do say no. Look at verses 16 and 17. We read, however, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing excuse me, hearing by the word of Christ. You know, in ancient Israel, not everyone believed the report that these, uh, that these captives would be set free from Babylon and be able to return to their own home. In Paul's day, not every one of his fellow Jews believed in the gospel. And in our day, not everyone we tell about Jesus will believe in him. But we tell people about Jesus regardless of their response. And here's why. Because, listen to this, when the gospel is proclaimed, when you share the good news of Jesus, you are not alone. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit speaks to the hearer's spirit. Verse 17 says that hearing comes by the word of Christ. That little word of, the word of Christ, it, it can be taken in one of two ways. One, it means the word about Christ. You're, you're sharing about Jesus. Or the other way it might be taken is that it means it is 
Christ's words Himself. In other words, Christ speaks through you when you tell others about Him. He's speaking to them on a spiritual level through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin and their need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is actively working in the hearer's body, in the hearer's spirit, I should say, that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might have faith in Jesus. So don't be afraid to tell people about Jesus. God is with you. You know, some people, some people that don't yet believe in Jesus, they might be able to claim ignorance. Say, well, you know what? No one ever told me. I, I didn't, didn't really know about Jesus before, but, but Israel cannot make this claim. You see, God chose Israel out of all the peoples of the earth to be His people. And so they had access to the knowledge of God's righteousness. They knew if they had studied Abraham's life that the way to come to faith in Jesus is by believing in God. And yet, so many people in the nation of Israel decided instead of believing in the promise of a Messiah, they would instead try to attain their own righteousness, their own way. They would try to obtain salvation by being good. Obtain salvation by obeying the Ten Commandments. And we know that's, that that's an impossibility because we've all broken the Ten Commandments already. Verse 18 says, But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? And Paul answers the question, Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The ends of the world. Paul quotes Psalm 19, verse 4 here. And it talks about how God's glory is revealed in the stars. Think about that. You get away from the bright city lights. You can see the stars at night. All the stars that God has created that are visible with the human eye. You can see them. Every one of them displays the glory of God. No matter where you go in the world, away from the bright city lights, you can see all these incredible stars. And every one of them displays the glory of God. Paul says that now God's glory is on display when we proclaim the gospel. The voice of God and the words of God through the good news of Jesus, they're becoming as worldwide as the light of all the stars that surround the earth. It's becoming more and more difficult for people to claim that they live in complete spiritual darkness, unable to see the light of the gospel. And so this excuse of never having heard, it just doesn't work, especially, especially for the people that God gave his word to, for the people of Israel. Verse 19, Paul, as a Jew, he writes, but I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? He says, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. Well, maybe, maybe Israel didn't understand the message. Will that excuse work? No. Well, why not? Here's the reason. 
Israel not understanding the message of the good news won't work. Why, that's simply an excuse. The reason that won't work is that unenlightened people all around the world have come to understand the gospel. By unenlightened people, I mean us, Gentiles. We who were not privileged to have received the law. We've come to an understanding of the gospel. Certainly those with the law could understand it as well. And so if Gentiles can understand the gospel, then certainly a highly favored group of people like Israel can understand the gospel. Israel cannot claim ignorance. In fact, Israel should have seen it coming that Gentiles, the rest of us, would come to the possibility of having salvation. Why should Israel have seen it coming? Because Moses told Israel that God said, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. That's us. By a nation without understanding. That's us. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. I will anger you. And not only did Moses say this, but centuries later, Isaiah said essentially the same thing. Look at verse 20. Paul writes, and Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. That's us Gentiles. We were we somehow found God. The reality is he found us. I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest. In other words, I showed myself to those who did not ask for me. Again, that's us. And so if we, unenlightened people, who did not seek after God, somehow found God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Hebrew Scriptures, then certainly Israel has no excuse. So Israel cannot claim that they've never heard the good news of Jesus. It's right there in the Word of God that He gave them. Israel cannot claim that they are incapable of understanding the good news of Jesus because even us lowly Gentiles who don't even seek after God can understand it. And so what's the problem? Why has Israel, the people that God has chosen out of all the people of the earth, why has Israel largely rejected the salvation that God offers? Why has Israel rejected their own Messiah that came to them, the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer is simply found in verse 21. But as for Israel, God says, All the day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. The issue is not ignorance. The issue is disobedience. The issue is stubbornness, obstinance. You see, the willful rejection of the good news of Jesus keeps people from being saved. You know, some people reject Jesus because they don't see the need to believe in Him. 
either they don't believe in God at all or, or they believe, on the other hand, that everyone will be saved or they at least believe that, hey, I'm good enough to be saved. Charles Barkley was once asked by Roy Firestone, a sports interviewer, do you think that you'll make it to heaven? And Charles Barkley responded in only the way Charles Barkley can. And he said, I only know one thing. The boat's going to be close. The reality is, I think there's a lot of people who think, maybe I'm good enough to make it to heaven. Maybe I'm good enough for God not to reject me. Maybe I'm good enough for God to love me. People believe in the false narrative that they can gain salvation by personal merit. They say, well, if I'm good enough, God will approve of me. But listen, salvation by good deeds is a lie. It's a lie. God's requirement to be saved is simply faith. Have faith in the one whom he has sent. Have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 